Mexican. Today we're starting a brand new series and, and really an opportunity for us to dive into God's word. We're just calling it a- the ABCs of financial freedom. Like, just take it super simple. I think we've done a couple of series like this before. I think we use the same title. It's like the only series we use the same title because we just need to focus on the ba- basics because I think historically Christians are not super good at this. Um, and so we'll talk more about that today. Now, I want to I start with the A. Like, we'll do A this week. We'll do B next week. We'll do C. We're going to keep it so simple. And we've got um, workshops going on this month. There's three of them. You can see those online. There's a Facebook page that lets you know when those are. We're basically taking a break on the spring break week, just to let you know. But Wednesday night, 6.30 here in this room, we'll have tables set up. And we're just going to be getting practical and letting you really dig in to that. So we'd love for you to be a part of that, too. But we're going to start this series today. And today, I, I first want to start with the A of attitude. Attitude. Um, and I, I know, like, as we kind of bring up finances, uh, most people in the room kind of get a little tense. Get a little tense. I don't know why that is. For those of you that have been around here, you're not as tense anymore because you know we talk about it regularly and, and we're not um, here to, it's not about what we're here to get from you. It's really about what God wants to get to you and what God wants for your life. And I believe it's freedom. Like we just sang about freedom, and if you look back to the very beginning of the scriptures in the garden, there was like incredible freedom. Like you could do whatever you want. You just can't do this one thing. There's parameters. There is guidelines. We, we operate better with guidelines. But what happens is life gets miserable and out of control when we don't operate under God's order and under his guidelines and his parameters that he set us, but great freedom happens when we walk in it. So I think beginning to end, there's so much in this theme of freedom, and I think many times for us as believers, we treat our walk with God as one thing, and then this thing, issue of finances, this area of finances is this whole other thing that's like separated from our discipleship. And if you know our mission here, it's to go and make disciples. It's just the mission that Jesus gave us, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's our mission. Jesus gave it to us. That's every church's mission, whether that's their mission statement or not. We just say, we're just going to make it our mission statement because it was good enough for us. Um, I don't need to come up with something better than what Jesus gave us. Um, But to make disciples is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. That we not only, and we're called to, to, to make those and encourage and point people towards a more loving and more committed relationship with Jesus. But first, we gotta, we got to start with ourselves before we can lead anybody else. we got to let God lead us on a daily basis in every area of our life. When we look at Jesus calling the disciples, some of you will remember this text, and Jesus like, says, come, follow me, and then at this one point, he's like, and I don't bring an extra pair of flip-flops, which I thought is like, such a cool thing. Like, don't bring an extra pair of flip-flops, which most of the time, we don't have an extra pair, but they did. Don't bring an extra money bag. Don't bring extra clothes. And he starts listing off all these things they are not allowed to bring. I remember this trip, um, this youth trip. My dad was my youth pastor growing up. And 
uh, we went on this trip. It was like a survivor-esque thing. You know, it's like youth group stuff, everything's thematic. And so it was like survivor thing. And you're only allowed to bring like 12 items on the whole trip. And so you had to kind of work as a community and like share toothpaste. Hopefully nobody was sharing toothbrushes. But it was this, this whole idea. And I think what Jesus, is, and it was so hard. It was so hard because we want to take everything with us. But Jesus, what he was saying to his disciples is that this is going to be about trusting me. And most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we do everything that we can in our life to keep from trusting God. Like we set everything up so that, and what we don't realize is that we really just become super self-reliant and very personally like independent. And like we celebrate independence. But the scriptures and the life God has called us to is not one of independence, but of complete dependence on God. And that's what he was calling us out to. So if you're one that's kind of separated finances as this whole other thing, if I talked about it as much as Jesus did, you would probably leave the church. He talked about it a third of the time. He talked about it more than any other subject, more than heaven and hell. He talked about money. And not because it was all about the money, because he didn't even have a place to lay his head, but because he knows that it's connected to our heart and he knows that it's connected to our survival, and he wants our survival and our existence to be built around trusting him. Not just on the weekends, not just on on one opportunity, but on a daily basis, trusting him. And here, that's what I believe that God's, this, why he brings us into freedom, is that we're not burdened by the things of this world anymore. So I believe that God's going to speak a lot through this, I started thinking about our attitudes, and I started thinking about the animal kingdom, and I don't know why I wanted so bad to like have an animal kingdom illustration to kind of represent our, our, our attitudes, but I think I came up with a few. The first one is some of us have a lion attitude, or like a mama lion, like if you mess with my money, if you mess with my cubs, like, like they're ready to pounce, and like, that, like you're, some of you guys are ready to fight me right now. Like your mama cub, you got a lion attitude. There may be some people in the room that have a sloth attitude. You sleep 20 hours a day and you don't have energy to do anything else um, because you, you just take all day to process that one meal. And I think there's actually a big spiritual note or nugget in there. If we, like the, the, God, the word that God spoke to us a year ago, if we're still processing that, we don't have energy to go forward in the mission of God. That's just free there. That's just something else. There. Um, so lions, some of us have a sloth. Thing. And then here's the one you didn't think I was going to, you know, animal I was going to bring up. The pygmy shrew. Okay, yeah, I, I, you didn't think I was going to drop the pygmy shrew because I didn't even know what a pygmy shrew was until I started doing some research. The pygmy shrew is like five centimeters long. And his heart beats at a thousand um, beats per minute. Like that's super fast. A thousand beats per minute. He never has an opportunity to sleep. When he sleeps, he sleeps just a little bit. He eats twice his body weight, right? On a daily basis, he eats three times. You get where I'm going with this? This is a lot of American culture right here. We eat twice or three times our body weight. And he's so tired. Like, if, if an hour goes by where he doesn't eat, he'll, he'll just die. Like, there's certain death, death if he does not eat every single hour. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> I like to eat every single hour, too. Especially coming off that fast. You're like, I'm going for it. Um, from January. February has been that kind of month. So now I'm like, i got to recalibrate. I think I need to fast again because coming off that. Um, but a lot of our culture is pygmy shrew. And what's crazy is that this pygmy shrew only lasts about a year. 
the hustle and bustle and thousand beats per minute, he can only survive. He's, only, he's burnt out by the time a year gets around and he's toast. Some of us feel like that and we don't even want to talk about finances. We don't even want to look at it because all it does is thousand beats per minute and we never slow down. And so we're going to talk more about this. You see, our first and our largest problem in the area of finances is not our income. It's not our expenses. It's not our debt. And it's not our budget. It's our attitude. It's our attitude. William James has a quote that said, it's the greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitude. And I believe that attitude is altered when we acknowledge the sovereignty of God over everything, including my finances. Do you remember who Harry Truman is? Yes? No, 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 not the president, Harry Truman. The Harry Truman in 1980 who lived on the side of Mount St. Helens. Anybody? Yeah, I wasn't alive. I know many of you are like, bro, I wasn't alive then. (laughs) in 1980, there was this guy, we'll call him, him Harry R. Truman, you know, because what's the other one? Harry S. Truman? Yeah. Um, Harry Truman lived on the side of Mount St. Helens in 1980, and he lived with his 23 cats. Where's all my cat people at? Say, meow. There you go. There's the, this is the cat section right there. If you're wondering where your people are and you're back there, your cat people are up here. Where's the dog people? Wolf, yeah, okay, very, they're not as excited. Um, Harry Truman lived on the side of Mount St. Helens, and there's this one kind of picture of of where uh, seismologists and meteorologists are saying this mountain is about to blow. Like, you better get out of here. And there's like TV reporters that are reporting about this, and they've got video on him, and even his sister is there, is like, get off the mountain, like you're gonna die, the mountain's gonna blow, the experts are saying it. And Harry Truman just pushed back, he's like, nope, I've been living on this mountain my whole life, it's not gonna blow, I don't believe you're experts, I'm gonna be okay. And so he just fought it and fought it and fought it, it was on this national broadcast. On May 18th, 1980, at 8.31 a.m., 2,500 feet of that mountain blew off. It didn't just blow, not in the air, it blew 2,500 feet of the mountain off. 500 times the power of that bomb that uh, was dropped on Hiroshima. Like 2,500 times, 2,500 feet, it covered the sky all the way through that area and all the way out to Oklahoma and it blackened the sky. It was all over the place. No one's seen Harry or his 23 cats since. Sometimes we're afraid to alter our attitude. We're, we're afraid. And, and I'll just tell you, I'm not the expert here today. God's word is the expert. God is the expert. And if I'm going to trust him, I need to do it in the area of my, my finances. And so we're going to talk today in just kind of a very simple form. I rarely, rarely take, actually literally never take uh, any sermon from uh, other resources. Like, I, I don't preach another guy's sermon. I just don't. Uh, but this is actually based on a book. And, and we have a book that goes to the workbook um, and, because he just lays it out so plain. And it's like, don't reinvent the wheel. It's God's word. And let's keep it super simple. And so I, I want to talk for just a second about some lies that we all believe. Like, some of us believe in the room. And you may find, I, 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 yeah, I actually have believed that. 
So I want to talk about some lies that actually sound like truth to us. The first one is all the church talks about is money, right? We, we already kind of addressed that one. But all the church talks about is money. You've said that to somebody. You've heard somebody say that. You've probably taken that in. And the truth is that we probably don't talk about it enough. Or else Christians would probably be better managers of money. You know who the number one risk for banks to loan to is? Guess. Churches. Number one risk. You know who the second greatest risk for them? Pastors. That is a sad indictment on how little we talk about finances. When God calls us to be excellent, great stewards, keepers of his money and how we manage it. He's called us to be excellent stewards. Instead, we're very poor managers of his money. The second uh, lie that we often, and, and let me just ask you this, why do you think that we believe that lie so much? Why do you think the enemy feeds that lie into our churches and across? And honestly, there's been some people that have given us good reason to believe that lie. We've seen the misuse. We've seen the misappropriation. We've seen the moral failures in the area of finance and church. But that doesn't change God's word um, regarding it. Why do you think the enemy? I, I think because he wants us to believe, believe a lie like and not be able to trust God's word and trust the truth because then we'll find freedom. The second one is that money and things can satisfy me. Well, if we just got that new car, if I just got that job, if I, if I just got that raise, if we just got a boat to really unwind on the weekend, if we just this, if we just that, if we just got in that neighborhood, if and we don't realize it, but our, our brains start to buy into those things, and we start chasing out. We start prioritizing every part of our life around the pursuit of stuff when it won't satisfy us. The third lie that actually sounds like a truth. It's my money, and I can do whatever I want with it, right? We've said that one before, you know, like we, where we all turn into little mama cup. Nobody's going to tell me how to do it. Well, except, like, except for God. Like God can tell me what he wants to do with it. Psalm 24 said the earth says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. I'm pretty sure that includes me. And I'm pretty sure that includes you. Yeah, like it, it does. Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 12 and really gets into it at verse 6. And it's about this rich man, and the scriptures say a lot to the rich man and say a lot to the poor man. He's always, wherever we're at, like the scriptures have a lot to say to us. And woman and ladies. Um, but there's this, this rich man and, and his, his ground, his soil is, is very fertile and like he produces like a huge crop. A huge crop starts coming and he said, so I'll say to myself, we see this kind of in quotes, I'll say to myself, and there's so much of like him consulting himself about what he should do with all this crop that has come in. And he said, I'll build a bigger barn to house it. I'll big, build a bigger barn. And God comes back to him and he says, but God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and what will you have prepared for yourself? We prepare all these things in the physical, but when it comes down to trusting God, have we prepared spiritually? Because the truth of the matter is just like Job said, naked I came into this world. And naked, I'll leave. You can't, you can't take any of it with you. Think about the next time we're in there and we feel that need to jump on something. I gotta tell you, like today, like you wanna know what the best way to financial freedom, we'll, we'll get into that. But it's not by, you won't spend your way to financial freedom. 
right? I hear this justification so many times for like buying a new car when the car they have like works great and or whatever it might be. Like you just make a, the, the laundry list and we justify so much time and we think it's going to get us towards financial freedom, spending more. You won't borrow your way to financial freedom. You won't cheat your way to financial freedom, you know, fudging numbers on your taxes. That's just lying on your taxes, by the way. You won't steal your way to financial freedom, you know, putting a few more extra miles um, on your expense reports, that's stealing. You won't beg your way to financial freedom, and you won't gamble your way to financial freedom. Man, I was, I was in the gas station the other day grabbing a, a bottle of water, and I was standing behind these two folks, and this is kind of an aside, but one spent $50 on a carton of cigarettes, and I was like, whoa, those things are expensive. And then this other person is over there and like buying almost $100 worth of lottery tickets. You're not going to gamble your way. You're not going to buy your way. It's financial freedom. So I'm going to talk to you about the truths that actually sound like lies. We talked about the lies that sound like truth. So let's talk about the truth sometimes we, we believe is, is a lie. And the, I think all of these, you'll immediately be like, wait a second. Is that true? And we're going to look at God's word and, and, and show you where it is. God is the one who determines how much money I have, right? Don't you just want to push back from that immediately? God is the one who determines how much money I have. I want to push back immediately. Like, nope, I, I get out and I work and I hustle and I, I do this. Look at what Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18 say. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Jesus said something like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. That if we seek after God, if we put him first, then everything else is going to fall in line. But we're so much in this, like we don't even realize how much is in it. And I'm, I'm, I, I could be the world's guiltiest about this because it's a very works-based mentality. It's a very independence-based mentality, which is far from God's scriptures. It's far from the life he calls us to of trust and dependence on him. And so God's the one who determines how much money I have. And we have, we, I know some of you, you're like, you're wrestling with this immediately. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. And there's other principles that talk about hard work. Those that don't work, don't eat. Like scriptures say that. It's wisdom. And so we'll, we'll dive into it more. But it also tells us to care for the poor and feed, feed the poor uh, and feed the hungry. Second truth that actually sounds a lot like a lie. And I'll just slow down, tap the brakes here. And just want to get into powerful, powerful text for us is that God has the power to shut down my company, my business, and dry up my income without a moment's notice. When we're talking about the sovereignty of God, acknowledging the sovereignty of God and how that changes our attitude, do we believe this? Do we believe that God is actually capable to dry it all up like that? Could have said that to Enron, right? Couldn't have convinced those guys. They were on the mountain. Can't tell me. Your experts can't tell me. We got it figured out over here. Right? Go down the list of companies that were, were flying high, like AOL, like it was killing it. And like, I don't even know if they exist anymore. I do because Mike Pence has an 
email address, apparently. <laughs> that's, um, it was AOL, but um, that's the only way I realized that they were still around. Um, God has the power. There's this passage. You guys remember back in, in Daniel 3? We see these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's like their easier names to pronounce. So these three Hebrew boys that have faith in God and King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you're going to bow down, you're going to worship, you're going to pray to me, pray to my idols. And they're like, no, you're not the one true living God. They stood in the fire. Some of you will remember that story. Well, flip over to chapter 4, and I want to pick up. I think we're going to pick up at verse 24. So Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. You ever have a crazy dream? You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Sometimes they, they might be very spiritual. God could be really speaking to you. Um, through it. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was like asking anybody, like, who can interpret my dream and help me understand this? And the vision he had in this dream was a giant tree that has all this fruit and it has every, everything that it could want. It provides shade, the, you know, for the people underneath and animals and the, the birds live in there and there's so much fruit. And then it all gets taken. It all comes down. It all dries up. And so he's kind of struggling with this vision, doesn't know what it means. And so Daniel who interprets dreams, says this right here. This is the interpret, interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people, and you'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox, and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass, uh, I will pass uh, by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness being kind, by being kind to the oppressed. It uh, may be then that your prosperity continues. So, warning, 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 like this got real for him very quickly. You ever like, you feel like God's speaking something to you and like, no, no, that's for somebody else. Like I know this dream, it had to be for somebody else and it's very difficult to accept it and receive it for ourselves. And here he's, he, he's encouraging him, go ahead and accept this man. Um, Cause it's gonna be hard if you don't, you're gonna be eaten like the wild animals. All this happened, it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, he said, is not this the great Babylon I've built as the royal re- residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. You just hear lots of me, lots of I, looking out over Babylon and so proud of himself for what he has built with his hands. I love this line. Even as the words were on his lips. 12 months has gone by since this dream was interpreted for him, and he's kind of been going on business as usual, proud of what he is building. And even as the words are on his lips as he's walking around the rooftop, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You'll live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you. Uh, until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives to them, uh, to anyone he wishes. I just want to keep reading because it's good stuff here. 
It's, it's preaching it for us. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. It got rough for him quick. Like that changed quickly. At the end of that time, I, it's like we're, the text is beautiful, how it just switched, and like Nebuchadnezzar's like, let me just tell you the testimony from, um, from my mouth. I kept, Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. You ever go through like a spending spree, or a season where you just think you got it all figured out, and, and, and it really it's pride, and we look back, and I'm like, I was nuts. Like, I was out of my, I was, I was off my rocker to think that this was about me and came from me. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what? Have you done? Right. Pause in here to read this long text because I think it, it puts where a lot of us are, where, where it's been about our hands. We have not, we've acknowledged God as sovereign with a few kind of exceptions, right? Sovereign over everything except for that or except for that. God, I give you everything. I surrender everything except for that. And we kind of draw a box on what is acceptable, for God's sovereignty to reach into. And I don't want you to be scared by this today. I want you to be encouraged and warned like Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar. And so that 12-month period where like your scales and like your nails are turning like that of a bird's, and that may just be depression, like the pit of depression. That may be where you're stealing ketchup packets out of a McDonald's as uh, our brother Lee shared last night and just living off of those. Like, or, or last week, not last night. Anybody here last night? Yeah, me neither. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that 12-month period, but I don't it's a, it's, see it as, as a warning, not as time. And Don't make God kind of bring you into a season where he has to humble you. Hum, humble yourself first. If he would have humbled himself in that moment, I, th- I think that he could have probably been prevented from going down this path. God may have done it for a, a one-month season or a, a two-week season, but a 12-month. What happens here? Do we still have, I think we still have a little bit of text, yeah. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor uh, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Uh, my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and all those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. It's just a testimony there. It's just a testimony to a guy who had it all, and God told him, I can take this away in a moment. You need to humble yourself, and he didn't, and he proved to him. Uh, the last one um, that's a truth that sounds a little bit like a lie to us is that giving to God is the only way out of my financial problems. Sounds like a lie, doesn't it? Immediately sounds like a lie. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's not true. 
Like no financial advisor would advise me of that. God's economy is not our economy. It doesn't. And until you, we, we submit and, and, find, and acknowledge him as sovereign over all, then we're going to still be living in our, in our economy and not in God's economy. But when we're living in God's economy, multiplication can happen and miracles can happen. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to get something from you today. In fact, we just had the strongest financial month we've had in a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking because I'm like starting a financial campaign today. I, I love you guys, and I think you, you're the most generous church in America. Did you know that you, Fathom Church, you're 40% more generous than the average American church? It's amazing. Amen, that's right. So if you think I'm coming out of this from this place, like I'm trying, I'm not. I'm telling you, I want this for you. And this is God's word. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's, it's a reference of grain in the market. Like, you know that bag of chips that it's like 60% empty and there's a little bit of chips at the bottom? It's like so frustrating. Like the bag's this big and they're like, there's 12 chips in there. What happened? Like he's, got the, he's got the basket and like the grain, they shake it down. They're going to press it. And it's just going to be filled it's going to be filled. And sometimes that's financial, but the whole other, and there's a whole other sermon in here about contentment and what that looks like in our attitude to find our contentment. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I didn't write this one. I didn't write any of them. And sows generously will also reap generously. It sounds like a lie. Giving to God is the only way out of our financial problems. We find freedom in that. And we get fixated on the amount, but it's not about the amount. It's, it's about the posture and attitude of our hearts. And if you were like me in like years past, I gave out of obligation. And I questioned this and I questioned that. Man, when I just, I didn't, I didn't believe this for a long time in uh, this particular one. It's tough. For, I mean, I'm very practical. I'm very rational. I'm a realist. And sometimes even with people who are in a tough like financial place, I'll be like, don't bother giving to God right now. You just need to Take care of yourself. And God began to convict me about that. And he convicted me through my own life. Through my own life where I, when it would get tight and I felt like God clearly asked me to give when I had little to nothing. And I, and I saw God bring me out of that. Maybe not in the timing that I thought. Maybe not in the ways that I thought that person should spend the money. I won't go into that story, but there's one of those. And it wasn't a church, it was an individual. But, and, and God just, I, I began to learn in, in that season of my life and, and that when, I'm, when, when things are tight, it's because I'm not being a vessel to give what God asked me to give. And I'm not talking about with a tithe, I'm just talking about on a daily basis, the attitude and the heart of generosity and being a giver. So what I'm talking about. 
to just, and, and so sometimes, like, when it gets tough for us financially, when things, you know, we start looking, oh, man, like, what, where's our next table going to come by, you know? Like, when's that going to come through? I just say, babe, we got to find somebody to bless and, like, give. Whether that's the church or somebody else, we just got to give. And, and it's amazing how God speaks and confirms that. In Arizona, there's a story that there's this old shack, and inside of it there's a hand pump, and there's a, a, a little jar of water in there, and there's a note. And so for travelers that are coming through the desert of Arizona, they see this shack, and I don't know if it says H2O or something on the outside, but people go in, there's a pump in there, uh, and it says in there, if you use this water to prime the pump, then you'll have all the water you want to drink. If you drink the water in this jar, you can throw away the note. <laughs> it makes sense. But sometimes, like, we're looking at what's there, and we're just like, nope, I need this one. And we kind of, the instructions, the wisdom there that are not just for your provision, to have as much as you want, as much as you need, but for others that will come through your life, that will come across your path. Your financial freedom isn't just about you. And so be inspired today. There's travelers coming alongside you, behind you. Don't ignore the note. Don't just, don't just gulp it down. Prime the pump. Until we get that it all begins and ends with God where nothing else is going to work. There's, this, uh, there's another story of this, this father who was a congressman and he takes his son to good old Mickey D's. And they, he, the, the dad buys, the congressman buys a big thing of fries and a big thing of Coke. And they sit down and he's just going to enjoy a meal with his son. And as they're sitting down, he, you know, he, he grabs a French fry. And the son, like, slaps his hand away. Like, I know, if it was me, I'd be like, you kidding me? Um, he slaps his hand away. And then he goes, he's like, okay, well, I'll just have some drink. You can have the fries if you're that hungry. He, he, he grabs the drink, and his son's like, no, what are you doing? That's mine. And he, as the father was just getting angry about his son's attitude, God quickened this congressman that that's exactly how he had been toward God. That's exactly how he'd been toward God. He's smacking his hand every time. When the father can go up to the counter and buy as many fries as he wants, he doesn't need the fry. Like, he's fine. He's got a meal coming. He can go buy the store. His congressman, he, Makes good money. But that's exactly what he had been doing with God. And that's maybe what some of us in the room have been doing. The first step in changing our attitude when it comes in in stepping into financial freedom is acknowledging the sovereignty of God overall. And it's in that moment where we realize that he gives and takes away, yet still we can say, Lord, bless your name. Job, who we all revere of this man who stuck it out. He's able to say that. You give it, God. You can take it away. My heart belongs to you. God loves you. God loves you, church. He loves you. He, He loves you with a father's love. And maybe you haven't had a great example of that. And maybe like Mother Church, like Mother Church, here to nurture and care for you, hasn't been a great example for you either. But I want you to know the heavenly Father. He, he loves you and cares for you. Jesus references this love in the scriptures, and he says, if, if, your God, if the Father in heaven can clothe the flowers of the field and every bird doesn't miss a meal, 
how much more do you think he will care and give to those who love and trust and obey him? Trust him today. I want to call you to repentance if you find yourself um, in a place of pride where it's about you, it's about your wisdom, it's about what you can accomplish. I, I want to call you to humility in Jesus' name today. I want you to come crucify an attitude in this place of self-dependence and let God transform it into complete dependence on him. Come crucify an attitude of selfishness. Crucify an attitude of me, myself, and I. God, help us to, to take ourselves out of the throne chair and restore you back in every area of our life. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you to the table, and these guys are going to lead us. Let's stand. God, I thank you for the word of God that is full of life and truth. It's not some stale old book of historical writings. God, it is, it is life for the believer. It is life for me today, God, to trust in you. And I pray all across this room, God, the details, and some of us are being called to crucify some selfish mentality, some, some mentality, God, where we have found ourselves sitting in your chair. But God, help us as we acknowledge you, that you are sovereign over all, and we trust in you. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, come, follow me, help us just to take the next step. Whatever that looks like for all of us, God. I thank you that I am... I have the joy and the privilege to lead this, this place, God, under your spirit. God, and I, I just pray that today that you would encourage the people of God here today to know that their efforts and their giving is, is flourishing in this house and it's flourishing all around the world. God, that I truly believe you are raising us up to be an example, to be an example in the nations of those that are joyful and generous with their giving. We trust you with everything, God. Lead us on in Christ's name. Amen.